Amen. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. In uh, this class, we've been dealing and talking about uh, issues very frankly, and it's really a, a class designed um, for married people or those who are uh, close to being married or plan to be married. And uh, certainly uh, today is one of the uh, most difficult uh, issues to talk about. Uh, I obviously never have any idea who's going to show up, and uh, I just uh, congratulate you on your effort in your marriage to have whatever it is now become better. That's always uh, a good thing. And uh, investing in your marriage, just uh, a great place in which to invest your time and your heart. There's certainly more to a good marriage than good intentions and love. Uh, as you've heard me say so many times, nearly everyone, when they walk down a, a marriage aisle, have good intentions and love for one another, and yet there's a very high uh, failure rate. I'm told 50%. And, uh, and so we're just talking about things we can do uh, to make our marriage and our home better. Uh, today, uh, because of the uniqueness of our subject, I'm purposely going to skip answering questions. I'm purposely going to skip going over those nine uh, statements. And uh, today our subject is really an example of a very important subject that is by and large just ignored uh, in churches. Um, and because it's difficult to talk about, it's ignored in premarital counseling. And yet this subject is certainly the area where every relationship has hard feelings at times and arguments uh, in 90 plus percent of, of marriages. And, um, and so it's real important. Uh, it's awkward for you to hear. It's very awkward for me to teach. But I would not be doing a good job trying to help you in this key relationship in life if we didn't spend some time on this. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 21, it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Uh, we've talked about this before, and this is really basically the first wedding ceremony, the first wedding vows. And uh, in the very first wedding, in the very first wedding vows, it becomes obvious that God planned a special and unique physical relationship uh, between a husband and his wife. Uh, if you noticed, at the very end, verse 25, they were naked and not ashamed. Uh, we are taught about public nakedness, and we're taught to be modest as Christian people. Uh, and nakedness is designed not for public, it's designed for a husband and uh, his own wife. Uh, the phrase in there in verse 24, they shall be one flesh. Uh, that is, was a part of the first marriage ceremony. The physical relationship of a husband and his wife, and that phrase occurs seven times in the Bible. Six of those refer to a man and his wife, and the seventh to a man and a harlot, uh, a woman who is not uh, his wife. Uh, God himself designed sex as a part of of a healthy marriage relationship uh, between a husband 
and his own wife. Uh, sex is not the invention of Satan. Uh, it's not the invention of a twisted culture. It is part of God's design for our marriages, and therefore it has been twisted by Satan and twisted by mankind to be something different than what our Creator intended. Please just always understand, because God is good, and because God loves His greatest creation, uh, if God designed something to be a part of our life, then you can mark it down. It is intended to be good for both husbands and wives when it's handled rightly. Uh, and you can mark it down. If it is not good and beneficial for both husband and wife, then one or both people involved are in some way handling this issue uh, in a wrong manner. Go ahead and go up to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, notice what it says. It says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Now, while God did not intend sex to dominate a culture publicly, he did intend privately for it to be a blessing to both husbands and wives. Notice it's the marriage bed that is undefiled. Notice that it is sex outside the boundaries of marriage that will bring God's judgment. Now, the Bible, if we were to just speak generally, it's a pretty bloody and violent book in some places, including the New Testament. Uh, in fact, some of the violence is even pretty graphic uh, verbally. I mean, think about David cutting the head off of Goliath and uh, walking around with that severed, bloody head. I mean, that's pretty graphic violence. Now, in contrast to that graphicness of the violence, uh, the Bible is very subtle when it speaks about sexual issues other than in the book of the Song of Solomon. Uh, it is far more subtle about sexual issues uh, than violence. But the Bible still has a lot to say about human sexuality. Uh, I mean, think about it. The seventh of the ten most basic commandments in Exodus 20:14 has to do with sex outside of marriage. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, if we were to look at the laws God established for the nation of Israel, adultery, rape, and bestiality, they were all punished by the death penalty in the government God established. The Bible clearly makes an effort to make a point that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a virgin when she conceived Jesus, even though she was engaged and had technically, quote, found the man with whom she was going to spend her life. Uh, 1 Corinthians says we should flee fornication. Ephesians said that fornication should, quote, not be once named among you as become a saint's. And by the way, fornication, if you're not familiar with the word, is a, any kind of sexual activity outside the boundaries of marriage. Proverbs chapter 5 tells husbands to be satisfied with your wife's body and to be, quote, ravished always with her physical affection. You see, sex between a man and a woman is not a dirty act when it's a husband and a wife. It was designed by God designed by our Creator to be private and for a husband and wife only. You see, part of the problem that husbands and wives have in this issue is a mental one. 
A lot of people are wrongly taught as children that sex is a dirty thing rather than being taught that it's a private thing and a good thing between a husband and a wife. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Song of Solomon. If you haven't, I would challenge you to read it. It is a very romantic and sensual series of encounters between a husband and his wife. I'm told the Jews didn't allow anybody to read that, any young man, until they were 30 years of age. Now, now, now to me, that's really silly, silly and just kind of shows the roots of Phariseeism because if anything, from a biblical perspective, uh, a young man should not have been allowed to read it until after he was married because sex is not intended to be dirty. It's intended to be private between a husband and his wife. Lots of books in the Bible deal about uh, uh, the sexual issues from humanity, mostly in regard to remaining pure. And as I said, while the Bible is graphic about violence, it is very sensitive when it comes to this. I mean, for instance, Genesis 4.1 says, Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived. 1 Samuel 1.19, Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Again, that's not to imply that a sexual relationship between a husband and his own wife is bad. It's intended to teach us that it's private. By the way, uh, this is not a parenting class, but I would suggest for any of you who are parents that you handle violence and sexual issues in your home that same way with your children, that you are far more concerned about anything graphic that is sexual than you are uh, something being a little bit violent, though they both matter. Uh, Like always, God's plan for our sexuality does not oppress us, nor does it keep us from things that are actually good for us. Listen, God wants you and I to live a fulfilled life more than you and I want to fulfill it. Uh, God knows what fulfills a life. He designed us. You see, God's plan always minimizes the pain that sin always brings in people's lives and maximizes our purpose. Listen, God was not trying to ruin somebody's fun when he established very serious penalties and clear condemnation of adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, incest, and rape. In fact, if you take notes, write down Deuteronomy 22, 13 to 21. He made it a big deal to pretend to be a virgin when you got married if you were not so. He wasn't trying to ruin anybody's fun when he made sex exclusive between a husband and his own wife. Listen, every loving parent here makes rules for your children because you don't want them to feel the pain of something you know because you're older and you see things there. They don't see. You don't make rules to ruin their fun. You make rules to keep them from things that hurt them. A life of immorality and rebellion against God in the area of our sexuality and purity, it brings a threat of STDs, causes children to start life without a mom and a dad who love each other and are committed to stay together. It causes women to feel used and to think that their only value is pleasing men sexually, that they are just a boy toy, so to speak. A life of immorality and rebellion against God in the area of our sexuality and purity. It opens the door to sexual abuse and perversion that occurs because people have no respect 
for the boundaries God established. It enables men to continue in their immaturity, selfishness, and failure to be responsible because they get the advantages of being married without any responsibilities for caring for and loving your own wife. It takes us a step closer to being more like an animal who have no morals, no conscience, no boundaries. All uh, immorality and rebellion against God in this area of our life, it separates us from a holy God who created us, and he wants a close relationship with him. Listen, God knew what he was doing when he designed sex to remain within the boundary of marriage. Hebrews 13, 4, we just read it. Marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. See, the moral standard of sex staying within the boundary of marriage is something that men and women of all cultures have struggled with and is something that Satan has used greatly over the centuries. You see, immorality defiles the creature God designed in his own image. And it hurts the institution of marriage, an institution that God designed to picture his son's relationship with his church. Now, I know none of you read the Satanic Bible, but in the Satanic Bible that was written by Anton LaVey in the 1960s, because God has ten commandments, uh, Satan, in the Satanic Bible, there are nine Satanic statements. Do you know what number one is? Satan, quote, Satan represents indulgence rather than abstinence. Now, it's pretty clear who's beat, who, which drummer our culture is marching to when we think about the difference in abstinence and indulgence. The sexual relationship between a husband and his own wife was started by God and ordained by God to be good. Have you ever thought about this? Human sexuality is very different from sexuality among uh, all other creatures where basically in all other creatures it's just reproductive. With very few exceptions, animals are only interested in sex when a female is ovulating. I'm told human sexuality is also different in that it is the only face-to-face sexual relationship. See, God made sex among his greatest creatures to be more than just about reproduction. It is very personal. And that's why God uses terms like Adam knew Eve, his wife, or similar phrases about that relationship. Everybody in this room knows that sex is a big issue in our marriages, And it is mostly ignored by our churches because of cultural abuses. Listen, this is awkward for me to teach. I don't even know where to look. It's awkward for you to listen to. And I'll make it easy for you to look forward because I don't know where to look. Uh, About 13% of you who turned in surveys had strong negative feelings about sexual issues. That's between zero and four. About 75% who turned in surveys rated your satisfaction with your physical relationship very high, 7 to 10. And it's important to remember that all those, quote, ways that people spoke about their feelings, those good and bad feelings change as the seasons of life change. They change based on whether you're pregnant, whether you're newly married, whether you recently gave birth, and all kinds of other different things in life. 
But our physical relationship with our spouse is one of the four key areas of life over which our conflicts in marriage occurs most. Uh, at the end of class, I've got a bunch of more professional surveys. Uh, it's a survey of over 3,000 uh, Christian adults, uh, basically, uh, who attended uh, a marriage retreat. And you can uh, think whatever you think about the kind of people it surveyed. But these, this was, these were people, uh, over 3,000 of them, 16 or 1,700 men, 16 or 1,700 women, uh, on this issue, and I'll give you those at the end of the class. It's from a book called uh, The Act of, of Marriage. And so what I want to do with the rest of my time is make some suggestions for having a healthy sex life within the bounds of our marriage. Here's number one. Recognize that sex within the boundary of marriage is ordained of God. It's ordained to be enjoyable and to promote closeness and intimacy. I mean, think, if I got, if you haven't read, read the book of Song of Solomon, you don't know what I'm talking about. But if I got the book of Song of Solomon out and read it, there would be a lot of you who would feel like, wow, that's kind of inappropriate in public. Uh, because our culture, and in many cases our past, some have a tough time thinking about sex as being healthy and good. And again, if you were not abused as a child, if you didn't have all kinds of things that happened because you didn't know better, you might not understand that. But listen, it is very easy because of our past to think wrongly about this. And thinking wrongly about this issue is a major obstacle to a good marriage. You see, sex within the boundary of marriage is not an okay it is an important aspect of a healthy marriage. Years ago, somebody turned in the question, how can you want to have sex? It begins with an attitude change, if you're healthy anyway. Uh, sex is not something that's dirty or forbidden. There's no reason ever to feel guilty within the boundaries of marriage. Sex is not some low-priority duty or drudgery of marriage that God designed to give into after you've been badgered enough. It is the gift of God. It's intended for pleasure and intimacy in your most important earthly relationship. In fact, as Christian people, uh, very often, early in your marriage especially, you will struggle to change your attitude from fighting off your sexual desires like you did when you were single to allowing yourself to enjoy that aspect of your marriage. Now, a lot of people were sexually active before marriage, and because of that, they bring in the back of their mind a guilty conscience into the bedroom. Uh, on our surveys, a little less than one-fourth of those who turned in a survey remain morally pure until their wedding night. Uh, by the way, that's about the same percentage as the last three times I, I taught this class. And, you know, it, it is what it is. I'm, I'm just telling you, that's what the survey said. What it tells me is that Christian couples... Too few of them have a plan to stay morally pure prior to marriage. And then they end up doing things about which they later feel guilty. There's no person here who is a saved person 
In fact, I don't, even if you're not saved, I, I believe because of the conscience God put in us. There's nobody that looks back who's been sexually immoral and says, wow, you know what, I'm glad I did that. No one. And there's a big difference in something being dirty and wrong and something being private and intended for marriage. Some people here, one of the reasons you struggle with bad feelings about this is where you grew up, you were told all your life it was dirty and wrong. Instead of being told it's private and for marriage. You want a basic moral standard? I know everybody in here uh, is married. Let me give you a basic moral standard that if you're ever talking to anybody uh, about this, if you suggest this basic moral standard, it will never do anything too bad. This is a moral standard I suggest to everybody. Uh, Never be alone unless you are alone in public or in a moving car. It's a very basic standard. But no one will ever do anything very bad if you keep that basic standard. And by the way, if you're alone in public, you can have all the private conversation you want. But that will protect and help you. Number two, go please in your Bible back to Matthew 5. Just talking about suggestions for a healthy physical relationship within the boundary of marriage. Matthew chapter 5. Here's number two. Close up the gates of your sexual attraction to all others with the exception of your spouse. Close up the gates of sexual attraction to all others with the exception of your spouse. Matthew 5, verse 27. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already. Uh, in his heart. Uh, Jesus did not lower any Old Testament standards of law. People who say, you know, that was Old Testament law. Listen, Jesus and grace raised every standard from something that was external to something that is external and something that is internal, something in your heart. True exclusivity in marriage uh, is, <laughs> has to do with our body our heart, our mind, and our imagination, not just your body. Uh, somebody turned in a, a question in a previous section uh, about they don't find their wife attractive anymore. Uh, the answer to that question is, if you shut off all your gates, your ear and eye gate, to every other attraction other than your wife, uh, and you're healthy, uh, that will fix that. This is the reason God said flee fornication. 1 Corinthians 6.18 Flee youthful lust. 2 Timothy 2.22 God could have told us to fight those things, and we should. But the first response is flee. Close up the gates to all sexual and emotional attraction to anyone other than your spouse. Uh, things will change in the, for the good in your home when you allow yourself only to be physically and emotionally attracted to your spouse. Here's number three. How do I 
make the physical relationship in my marriage better. Here's number three. Make your bedroom sacred and private. Uh, unfortunately, what I've learned over the years is probably almost none of you will listen to me in this. But it would really help you. Don't let your kids sleep in the bed with you. You know, I'm not talking about you've got them, uh, you know, in a, in a crib by your bed because they're just a brand new infant. You know, I, I'm talking about when your kid is sick, don't let them come in your bed. Uh, you go where they are. Uh, our kids, our, our bedroom was sacred. Uh, the only thing our kids were in our bedroom for was to get spanked. That was where we sent them. Make it sacred. Remember, we read the marriage bed is undefiled. Um, make sure you have a good lock on your door. Uh, teach your children to knock before entering. Uh, all this will just help you have a better attitude uh, for sex within the boundaries of marriage when your privacy is more secure. Somebody turned in the question, how do you get past being afraid your children will know when you're being intimate? And the answer to that in part is have your bedroom more sacred and a lock and all those kinds of things so it's more secure. Here's number four. Go ahead to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. By the way, I'm just teaching the Bible and some practical things. And, and, and I know this is difficult to hear. <laughs> Listen, it is very difficult for me to talk about. Here's number four. Fight the enemy of selfishness in your bedroom. Just like you need to fight it in every area of your marriage. See, selfishness sometimes causes people to make very little effort with their personal hygiene. Take care of yourself. Selfishness produces a lack of effort in expressing affection. Listen, expressing affection at non-sexual times, it's a choice. I get it. Some people, it is very easy for them. They are naturally expressive of their affections. I get it. But if it's not natural for you to do that, you need to do the supernatural thing. You need to just decide you are going to express affection at non-sexual times. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, notice what it says in verse 3. It says, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. And likewise also uh, the wife unto the husband. Benevolence just means kindness and generosity. And husbands and wives would be kind and generous in the context of meeting their spouse's needs. Verse 4, The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. Likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. It says, Defraud ye not one the other. Uh, to defraud basically means to hold back or deprive. It says, Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. And incontinency is just uncontrolled passion. Notice in verse 5, it basically told that we are supposed to make the effort on purpose, except for if you have some season where you purposely decide not to be together. And then he warns us in verse 5. He said, listen, Satan will be working on you in the end of that verse. When you don't 
work in this area of your marriage. And of course, this admonition to be kind and generous with your affection and to not hold back and deprive your spouse physically is certainly balanced with a command for a husband to love and honor his wife. Listen, not always, but in nine out of ten cases, the husband wants to be together physically with a wife more than she wants that. Now, every year I get... And, and I've done marital counseling where the wife comes in and says, no, my, my, I've told men the same thing. Until, Listen, you need to make yourself available for your spouse. What that probably means is that one of you, because nearly always people are not on the same page with frequency, what that means practically is one of you is going to need to be physically active more than you want and the other one physically active less than you want. That's what it means to not be selfish. Uh, Your sex life isn't really about you. It's about meeting the needs and desires of your spouse. Physical needs and emotional needs. And what we learn in life in every area, when we set out to meet our own needs, in the end, they end up unmet. But when we set out to meet the needs and desires of our spouse, in the end, we find out that somewhere along the way, our needs were met too. See, selfishness produces a lack of effort instead of doing what you can to meet your spouse's needs. Uh, this is an area of life where some wives try to subtly control their husbands. It's also an area of life where husbands are often thoughtless, selfish, and unconcerned about a wife's needs. Listen, she, nine times out of ten, wants and needs more intimate conversation and time with you than you want to invest in this area of your life. And if you get the idea as we talk about this, that God designed these general differences in husbands and wives because together this blend produces something stronger and better. If you're getting that idea, you're getting the right idea. Now because we are to be fighting selfishness in the physical relationship of our marriage, you should never make comments about your spouse's sexuality in public for humor. You should never discuss private sexual matters with someone without the permission of your spouse before you do so. You should never discuss sexual matters with someone of the opposite gender unless your spouse is there. I mean, how do you really, how do you think adulterous things start? They always start with carelessness. Please hear me. If you are careless in this area of life, mark it down. Satan will always make an opportunity to destroy your marriage. Number five, have realistic expectations for your sex life. Uh, Studies show, and you'll see in in this survey, you know, married couples are uh, generally far more satisfied with their sex life than those who are single and sexually active. But unrealistic demands and expectations of husbands uh, have created a lot of problems. Most husbands have their expectation in this area of life from pornography. Uh, 90 plus percent of men have seen pornography. 
And some men have never figured out that that's an actress who's pretending. And then when their wife is not like that actress, they wrongly accuse her of being like a refrigerator. When in reality, she's just not an actress. And a lot of women, they've got their ideas of what this relationship should be from romance novels and romance books, and you have a wrong expectation for uh, ambiance and all that other kind of stuff. And neither one of those uh, are reflective of true physical relationship with a husband and wife. Listen, reality is always different than our imagination. And by the way, uh, reality can and should be better than all these false fantasies. Don't expect your spouse to be another one of you. That's true in every area of life, and especially this one. Few places of life better illustrate the difference in our genders than our sexual desires and interests. There's probably some men here, and you still wonder why it doesn't do anything for your wife when you run around without your clothes on. You... you, you you just haven't figured out that that might trigger you, but it doesn't trigger her. Uh, there's a uh, listen. I, I've met with couples, and literally, the wife thought her husband had a hormonal problem and needed to go to the doctor because he wanted to be with her every day. When, when in reality. We make far too little effort to understand the sexuality of our, of our husband or wife. Have you ever made any effort? Have you ever tried to understand him or understand her? You know, God obviously made us so different in this area of life because the, this combination of the way we are naturally, uh, when combined, is fulfilling in marriage. Here's number six. Read a couple of books to become more knowledgeable about your own body, your spouse's body, and sex within marriage. Now, I, I won't ask you to raise your hand. I hope everybody in here had a parent who sat you down and at least explained the basic facts of, of life and quote the birds and the bees. But listen, almost never does a parent sit down and talk to their son or daughter honestly uh, about this. Almost never. And so people don't understand. And so that means you and, and we're going to have to make some effort to understand. Um, depending on your personality, uh, have somebody older of the same gender that you both trust you can talk to. Uh, read a few books. We've got two in our bookstore. One in there is Sheep Music. The other one is called Intended for Pleasure. Both excellent books. They both have a clear wrap around them so that a kid can't get them. They're both excellent books. Uh, you can get from Amazon.com uh, called The Act of Marriage by Tim and Beverly LaHaye. Uh, there's a book by Stephen Otterburn called Every Man's Battle. Uh, there's a book by Shannon Etheridge called Every Woman's Battle. I read it, and I thought to myself, that's no battle at all. It's silly. And to be honest with you, probably every woman that read Every Man's Battle, although it would be good for you to read it, just because it helps you understand a male sexuality a little bit better, you, you know what? Those books are helpful. 
And when you understand yourself and your spouse better, it'll just help you meet your spouse's needs better. Here's number seven, and lastly, a healthy sex life will not fix all your problems in marriage or resolve every conflict, but it will help every marriage. Listen, most men believe this is a solution to every problem. But that's not accurate. Uh, Some women think it is an unimportant desire to be given into only after you've been badgered enough. And that's also not accurate. God made the physical relationship in our marriages to be a healthy expression of our love for one another, the joy we share, an opportunity for intimacy and conversation that we would otherwise avoid. And so what I would say to you, despite the fact that we have now spent 40 minutes both being awkward, this area of life will greatly help your relationship if you invest in it. Uh, you should have a pink paper. If you don't, uh, could you get them one, Sherry, please? And uh, write down questions or a smiley face or something. Next week, we will either start on fair fighting or... Um, finances, and I'm not sure which one to do first, be thinking and, and, and praying about that, and um, write down a question and just stick them up there. God bless you. You're dismissed. Oh, let me give you a survey if you, before you leave, too.